If you have a Bible this morning, turn with me uh, to the book of Hebrews. Let's go to chapter 11. We want to pick up our study in verse 8 and then take it to the conclusion of verse 19. When you come to Hebrews chapter 11, it is called the faith chapter. It is called the heroes of faith. But there was a brother in Christ back in Albuquerque. When he heard that I was teaching this, he emailed me, good friend of ours. And he says, you know what I see in Hebrews chapter 11? Sinners of faith. And it made a lot of sense because all of these were sinners just like us. And then we come to saving grace. And then God teaches us faith and takes us through faith. And so that position of faith. Last week we saw the faith of Abel, the faith of Enoch, and then the faith of Noah. And this morning, we want to look at Abraham and Sarah and how God was faithful to them, how God called uh, Abraham out at the age of 75. And so a lot of times we say, well, you know, I'm too old for ministry or I'm too old to be used of God. And yet here's the beautiful picture of Abraham and Sarah. And so let's begin here and ask the Holy Spirit to minister to our hearts. Hebrew chapter 11, that is. Look at verse 8. By faith, it says, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out uh, to a place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Now, as I looked at this portion of our text this morning, uh, such a reality came forth for me. Back in 1982, uh, my wife and I were preparing to come out to southern New Mexico. God was calling us from uh, Southern California, and we would come here and, and begin a ministry. And naturally, as a young Christian, you think uh, this is going to be a blessing. This is going to be uh, encouraging. I can't wait to get there. And yet we can look back now at all the trials, the hardship, and the pain. And I remember reading passages like this. And so here's Abraham and Sarah being called out of their land, out of their country, out of the place called Haran, and now being called to a place of inheritance. Now, we know that they were called into Canaan land. But it says here they didn't know where they were going. But at least we know. We knew where we were going, even though we didn't understand the Southwest, even though we had not been to this place. Now, we came and spied the land. But we knew where we were going. We knew what we were getting into. But look at the faith now of Abraham and Sarah. Ladies, would you, know, would you just pick up because your husband said, we're moving, God told me? It's not an easy task. And so you seek uh, the grace of God through it all, the understanding of God through it all. So here in verse Eight, as we see, true faith in God, it causes obedience. Abraham obeyed God when the Lord called him out of the land of Haran. Now, obvious to me, nothing was being accomplished strongly for him there in Haran. And so God calls him out. Abraham obeyed God and Sarah obeyed her husband. Now, he was being called out to an inheritance. Now, I want you to see the picture here. Abraham was, first of all, being called out to a relationship with God. And then secondly, he was being called to a place of inheritance, not the promised land. That was part of it. But we're going to see in the study this morning that Abraham was looking further. The inheritance that one day, eternal life, one day he would be with God. Notice that Abraham's faith, he's caused to leave Haran yet not knowing where he was going. Now, I want you to turn with me. We want to see the passages. Go to Genesis chapter 12. And so a lot of times when God speaks to us, ministers to us, the first thing I react to it is, well, you're calling somebody else. Put it in somebody else's heart, Lord. And yet here's Abraham. He was comfortable there in Haran. I'm sure he had a business going. He had family going. And God calls him out of the whole thing. Notice in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, the promises to Abram 
Now at this time, he's called Abram. Listen to the translation. The word Abram in the Hebrew means high father. She was not called Sarah yet. She was called Sarai. And her name in the Hebrew means contentious. But then God changes their name. And Abraham means the father of a multitude. And Sarah means princess. I thought that was unique too because, uh, you know, God took their names and changed it. The Bible says when we get to heaven one day, we're going to have a new name. I don't know what that new name is going to be. And so God transforms even your name. Notice now in verse 1, Genesis 12. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country uh, from with your, he says, from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. He's calling them to the place of separation, but consecration to God. But at this time, he doesn't know the place yet. And then he says to him, the promise he begins, verse 2, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. Now, this prophecy has come to pass. Abraham is called the father of Israel, father of the nation. And look what God has done. And listen to this next promise. In verse 3, he says, I will bless those who bless you, Abraham, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I have to admit to you, before I came to saving grace, Israel meant nothing to me. Before I came to saving grace, the Jewish people meant nothing to me. But you come to saving grace and you begin to study God's word. And you begin to come to this conclusion. God loves the nation of Israel. They are his people. They are his chosen nation. Even though throughout history they have rebelled against God. But God's love and compassion and grace towards the Jews and Israel. Now it's very important that we see this as believers. Abraham, here's a promise for you. I will bless those that bless you, Abraham. I will curse those that curse you. I look at our United States of America. We have always been a blessing uh, to Israel. But right now, I can be very honest with you. I am very concerned of our country, what we're doing to Israel. I believe strongly that we need to support her. I believe strongly that as we support Israel and as we back Israel, as we love Israel, listen, God is going to bless us. He has always blessed our nation. Let me give you an example. The United Kingdom, which we understand as England, at one time always supported Israel. In recent years, they have turned their back on Israel. And it is evident the chaos that's in the United Kingdom even today. But they have turned their back on Israel. And so every opportunity you get, bless Israel. The Bible says that we should pray for Israel. And yet, look around us. Look how many people want to annihilate Israel. The leader of Iran, he has said it blatantly. I mean, we've got some pretty crazy people in this world today. And it just seems that they're always against little old Israel, insignificant Israel. You have to look for her in a map of the Middle East. The Bible calls us to bless them. And we learned years ago through Pastor Chuck in the ministry at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, he loves Israel. And he's always trying to be a blessing uh, to Israel. And that has come down, you know, to the other Calvaries. Very rarely will you find a Calvary that does not appreciate and love Israel and the Jews. And God has blessed. And I think it's important to see that. Abraham, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. Notice verse 4 now. So Abraham, he departs uh, as the Lord had spoken to him. And he took Lot with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now we know that Lot was... Abraham's nephew. But I want you to see this, that at the age of 75 years old, he was literally called into the ministry. And so a lot of times people say, well, I'm too old. God, you know, can't use me. Yes, he can. I love this. 
You see, because when I was called into the ministry, you know, I was already in my 30s, and I thought, Lord, you know, there's a lot of youngsters here at the church. Use them. And yet God places that call. I'm reminded of Moses. Moses spent 40 years in Egypt, and then he went out to Midian, and he spent another 40 years in the wilderness there, and he was tending old sheep. That's all he did. Now, at the age of 80, God comes to Moses, and he sends him back and to call his people out. 80 years old, he's called to the ministry now. And so here's Abraham at the age of 75 years old. Never count God short. He can use each and every one of us. In verse 5, it says, Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran. And they departed to go to a land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Now, think about Abraham. Obviously, he's established somewhat there in Haran. I mean, he had some, you know, flocks with him. He had some family members. He had some servants. Now, just pick up, leave everything, and go. It takes a step of faith. I believe that the Holy Spirit was already ministering to Abram's heart there in Haran. He wasn't shocked by this, but God took him through the steps. Interesting that Haran is a portion called Mesopotamia, which we understand as Babylon today. And God calls him out of Babylon. When we speak of the world, we often say, I came out of Babylon. When we speak of the world, we often say, I came out of Egypt. And so God calls us from these places of the world, and he brings us in uh, to the promised land. He brings us first into saving grace. Now, this promised land is the land of Canaan, which we understand at this time was Palestine, which is Israel today. The Old Testament, Abraham was an important man. I want you to think about it. Now, we have the history behind it. But Abraham was the father of the Jews. He was the father of the Muslims. And we see him as Father Abraham also in Christianity. So three major religions, basically, because of Abraham and his faith. It's just a beautiful picture to see here. Now, Abraham, I want you to see this. He takes a step of faith in obedience to God. Now, some might say blind faith, because earlier in the passage, he didn't know where he was going. But I don't think it was called blind faith. I think Abraham knew exactly. You see, in Haran, I believe the Holy Spirit had already gotten a hold of him. He was already trusting in God. We shared last week that Enoch pleased God, and God took him. So without faith, it is impossible to please God. Abraham loved God. And in the process, God made Abraham, listen, uh, to be faithful. And so this morning, what's the challenge to us? What is God calling us in that area of being faithful in our life? Maybe it's being called uh, to saving grace, first of all. We have to be faithful as the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Have we stepped out by faith uh, to receive uh, the living Christ? So we've come to saving grace. What is God calling you now to? Being faithful. Is it to go to school, get an education? Is it to change jobs, go a different career? Is God calling you faithfully uh, to a portion of ministry? Maybe you want to be an usher. Maybe you want to work children's ministry. I mean, there's so many facets concerning the body of Christ. Is God calling you to be a witness at your workplace? Is God calling you to be a witness at school? I mean, there are so many things that God calls us to, and he gives us the faith to step out. He gives us the faith to believe. And we exercise these things by faith. Now, sometimes we struggle if we're young in the Lord. Oh, well, you know, I really don't have that kind of faith like Abraham. Well, as a Christian, we begin to study the word. In Romans 10, 17, uh, there's a vital passage there. 
Paul the Apostle tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So as we come to church on Sunday mornings, as we come to church on Wednesday evenings, every time you open the Word of God, you're going through your devotional in the morning. We are reading God's Word. We're receiving God's Word. God is building your faith. God is teaching you faith. And Jesus told us that all we need is a measure of faith. And so we come to saving grace by that measure of faith. And then we come to that place where God says, I want you to do this. I want you to do that. And we take a step of faith. I'm reminded years ago that, again, that step of faith that my wife and I and our three children at the time, we took from Southern California to come 850 miles to the southwest. And then when we started to develop the ministry, and it began to grow, and then we looked at the possibility of getting a building. And currently, the building you're in today is the one we were looking at years back, and it was an impossibility then. We didn't have enough people. We didn't, surely didn't have the finances. We had $4,000, I never forgot that, that had been taken in, we saved it, and then we built up all the walls, the pulpit and such, and trust me, that $4,000 went quick. But I'm amazed as I look back at our faithfulness and especially, listen, God's faithfulness. There was times we didn't know when the rent, how the rent was going to be paid. And I would just look up into the heavens, Lord, you put us in here. You know, God never failed us, church. Never. And it was an impossibility to move in here. In fact, I thought, man, Lord, they're going to kill me once we don't have, we lose everything, you know? I mean, these things go through your mind. But if God is faithful, then he's going to do these things. Abraham, get up out of your country and leave. Now, let's go back to our text. Look at verse 9. By faith now. He, speaking of Abraham, dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country. He had no idea of the land of Cana. He was dwelling in tents, and then it goes futuristic with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. In the beginning, concerning Abraham's ministry, 75 years old, he lived in the tents in the promised land. He was a Bedouin. <laughs> he was a nomad. And it's interesting, you go to the Middle East today, you still see the Bedouins. They're still living in tents. You know what? It's amazing. When I first went to Israel, our guides pointed out, look at those are Bedouins. We go, oh, wow, they're still living like in the times of Abraham. But he says, take a closer look. You take a closer look at the top of their, their tent, there's an antenna, a TV antenna coming out. I don't think Abraham had that. And then he, he took us around one of the, it was like a little tent city, like a family. And we thought, man, these guys are poor like in the old. We went around the back. There's a truck parked back there. So this is the choice, the way they live. But Abraham, God sustained him. And God will sustain you. I want you to look at some of the things that you've gone through in your steps of faith. Remember when you were first married? Remember when you first moved into that little apartment? Are you ready for this? Mary and I's first apartment, way back when, was $85 a month. It's the best apartment in my life. I didn't want to leave. $85. I was making $115 a week. And I go, man, I got change left over. You can't do that today. Sometimes it takes two or three paychecks just to make the payments. But Abraham, by faith. Now, listen to not only Abraham's faith, that he was in, a, in this new land. He didn't have much in the beginning. But Abraham believed God by faith. Later, his descendants, which we read here, Isaac, then Jacob, which is not mentioned here. Then later, out of Jacob, 12 tribes that would come out of his 12 children. They stepped out by faith. Look what God has done uh, through Abraham. The last 4,000 years uh, through Abraham. Because he was willing, listen, to step out by faith. And yet, I love that portion. He didn't know where he was going. 
Is it blind faith? No, he was trusting God. Look at verse 10. Now, let's continue. For he waited, and I love Abraham here. He waited for the city which has, has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So he was looking further. He's come out of Haran now. He's gone into Canaan land. But Abraham was looking farther. I have to ask you the question. Uh, are you looking farther? Are you content where you're at? I hope we're all looking further. What Abraham's looking further to, he's looking to the heavenly place. Oh, we're going to sustain ourselves here on earth. God will take care of us. But what about the ultimate inheritance, the kingdom of God? Abraham, the father of a multitude, his heart was not on the earthly city, and yet God would bless his land, his home, his family. But Abraham looked farther beyond to the city of God he looked at the heavenly place notice that it says here in verse 10 which foundations and builder and maker is God now one of my commentaries said this about verse 10 I really appreciated it he says Abraham's heart was in the city of God not in earthly treasures or buildings made by man that will perish at any time I mean, not everything's going to last forever. Now, we're blessed in the Southwest. You know, we don't have no hurricanes. We don't have no tsunamis. We don't even have earthquakes. God's blessed. When people ask me, uh, so what kind of disasters uh, do you have in New Mexico? I go, well, the disaster is when the chili crop didn't make it. That's the biggest disaster. Otherwise, we are a blessed people. We are a blessed people. And so I want you to see this this morning. Turn with me to a passage in Matthew chapter 6. Abraham's heart was not in Haran. He's already gone. Now he's in Canaan land, but his heart's not there either. Abraham was looking farther. And I hope and pray this morning that you're looking farther. Don't be content where you're at. Because one day, listen, all of this is going to burn. If you don't believe me, read 1 Peter. Peter says it's all going to melt down. But man, we need to look further. We need to look to heaven one day. Now, we're not being morbid and say, oh, I can't wait to die. Can't wait to go to heaven. That's not what I'm saying. Listen, Jesus says it perfectly here. In Matthew chapter 6, understand this. Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus gathers his elect, the church, the body of Christ at this time, the learners of Christ, the students of Christ, his followers, and he sits them down at the Sermon on the Mount, and he gives them instructions. He speaks to their hearts. But I like this now. Matthew 6, look at verse 19. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves will break in and steal it. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And please understand verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, God is not telling you, you know, to give everything away. In the book of Acts, the early church did exactly that. They took in communal-type living. They sold everything. They put everything together. They distributed everything. But if you study Paul's epistles, Paul went throughout, you know, the Gentile circuit, and he was gathering finances for the Jerusalem church that had gone broke. I don't believe that God called them to communal living. But God gives us wisdom. But what Jesus is saying, don't lay up all your treasures here. Now, God forbid, you've got money over here in one of the local banks. You've got your money in your checking account. You've got a few extra dollars in savings. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. We should all have something. But then Monday morning, you go to your bank, and there's a big sign, out of business. Oh, wait a minute, I'm protected. Wait a minute, I have insurance. 
wait a minute. And, and we could go through the whole scenario. It's happened. I mean, are you going to get blood out of a turnip? They say there's no money. What are you going to do? Well, I'm going to sue you. What are you going to sue? We have to put our trust in God. We had to put our trust in the heavenly thing. I, I don't know if any of you have ever been broken into. Back in Southern California, we were broken into our house. I mean, it gets, it gets a hold of you. I'll never forget it as long as I live. You know, they broke in through the back uh, bedroom, which was our bedroom. And when they came into the window, my wife had, you know, our, what do you call those pillows? Very beautiful pillows with white linen. And I'll never forget this tennis shoe mark on my pillow. And it wasn't mine because my wife would have killed me. That was the thief. There's just this eerie feeling that somebody, I mean, you're going to break into my house, use the door. But Jesus says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Now, when you study the heart in Scripture, Write this down. In Jeremiah 17, verses 9 and 10, uh, Jeremiah writes, these are the words of God, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. Who can know the heart? Now, we're Christian. We're born again of the Holy Spirit. I'm a pastor. Maybe you're in ministry, but be honest. If God shows you your heart, you'll come to one conclusion. My heart's evil. I don't like to admit it. I know I'm Christian. I know I'm born again of the Holy Spirit. But I know what I'm capable of also. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. And so look at verse 21 again. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Abraham's heart was not in Canaan land, the promised land. That was the beginning. But Abraham looked further. Abraham looked further. Now, let's go to verse 11. Let's go back to our text. And ladies, now Sarah comes into the picture. I mean, God told Abraham to get up and leave, but, you know, come on, let's face it. Sarah had a choice. Now, the promise was given to Abraham, and that through his seed would come the child. It was going to be Isaac, but we know the story. Sarah couldn't get pregnant. And so Sarah herself thought, well, let me help God out. How many times we've done that? Abraham, go into my handmaiden, uh, Hagar. And typical male, Abraham says, well, I don't see a problem. But the son of the flesh was born. Now, listen to the story. We're going to get into it in just a minute here. In, in verse 11, by faith now, Sarah herself also received a strength to conceive seed and she bore a child when she was past the age, listen, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Now, she did not judge God faithful immediately because she laughed. Remember, ladies? The birth of the promised seed, which was Isaac, was based on God's faithfulness and that he would fulfill his promise to Abraham and Sarah. It was not based on Abraham and Sarah's faith, nor... Because 13 years earlier, go into my handmaiden, and Ishmael was born. And so it's amazing that we can learn from the patriarchs. Now, I want you to turn to this passage because we need to read it. Go back to Genesis again, and let's go to verse or chapter 18. Chapter 18, Genesis, Genesis 18, we're going to pick it up in verse 10. Now, at this point, Abraham and Sarah had exhausted every idea, every possibility, and still no children. And don't raise your hand, but how many times have we ever tried to help God out? Well, I think this is the way it needs to be done, so I want to help God out. Well, I've done that too many times. And you know what I find? It is so much better to trust in the Lord. God promised the Son... For Abraham and Sarah in their old age. It was going to be, listen to me now, a God thing. The Lord removes everything possible. I mean, Sarah was old, past uh, the childbearing age. And Abraham, he was older. <laughs> but let's begin here now. 
Genesis 18, look at verse 10. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Now, Sarah was listening uh, in the tent door, which was behind him. <laughs> and she does laugh. Now, the angel of the Lord has come. And the angel of the Lord is giving this message. Now remember, Sarah has exhausted every, every which way to get pregnant. And, and in Abraham, uh, you know, he knows it's not going to happen. So everybody's just kind of waiting. But yet God gave the promise. And so they're convinced that the promised seed was through Ishmael. But look at verse 11. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. So in other words, menopause had come and gone. Therefore, Sarah laughed. Sarah laughed within herself saying after I have grown old shall I have pleasure and then my Lord speaking of Abraham being old also so I like my own interpretation God listen this is Sarah I'm old but Abraham's fried are you sure Lord this time next year Sarah will be with child. She laughs. If we would have been there and that was directed to you, you would laugh also if you were up in this age bracket. Come on, Lord. I mean, Abraham and I are going to have a son now? At this age? You realize, Lord, we're going to go to the supermarket and, and you know, the little kid's going to be in a stroller and Abraham and I are going to be following him with walkers. Come on. I mean, that's the picture I get. Again, verse 12, Therefore Sarah laughed within herself. Look at verse 13. And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? She denied that she laughed. But she did laugh. And you know God's humor? Isaac in the Hebrew means son of laughter. Oh, every time Sarah saw that little kid running around, being mischievous and, uh, you know, doing the things that young boys do, she would still laugh. Oh, Lord, your promise. Unbelievable. And I want you to mark this in your Bible, if you like to mark passages like I do, underline in verse 14, because we will come to that crossroad one day where we have to trust God, we have to lean upon God, and we will laugh, or we will say inside, come on, Lord, look at verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. And, and we know the story. Nine months later, little Isaac was born. But how many times, we might not say these exact words, but is anything too hard for God? Lord, this is an impossibility. The Bible teaches us with God, nothing is impossible. Now, with men, it's a whole different story. But isn't God, listen to me now, isn't God the God of impossibilities? The fact that he saved us. Convinced in our own minds, why would God save me? He is the God of impossibilities. How many times in our lifetime, as true believers in Jesus Christ, do we try to figure it out? I've done that. I try to figure things out. In fact, I've in my prayer, basically, I don't tell God openly, but it's either my way or the highway, right? And you do the same thing. You see, I have so much joy, and so do you. When I finally relinquish, and I finally put my full trust in God, and then I see the hand of God, and I see the grace of God, and I see, listen, as Abraham and Sarah, God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness. I want you to mark this down. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, I have mentioned this verse many times over. 
The proverb says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not upon your own understanding, but in all thy ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Trust in the Lord. Have faith in God. And you know, I have faith. You have faith. But it just seems that I'll come around this corner again. And then I come up to some type of what I call an impossibility. And that's where God's faith really comes in. I'm praying for somebody that has a cold, somebody that has flu symptoms, and I have faith. God can touch them. God can heal them. But then the next person comes up, Pastor, I have cancer. Now all of a sudden, my faith is challenged. All of a sudden, I'm kind of startled inside. Because inside, I, Lord, you can touch a cold. I know you can. I've seen you do that. But Lord, this is cancer. Is anything too hard for God? Abraham and Sarah had to understand that. We have to understand that. Now let's go back to our text. Look at verse 12. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead. Who was good as dead? Abraham. He says, we're born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. It's giving you uh, the futuristic events through Abraham, what was going to happen. God was going to bless Abraham and Sarah. It was going to be Isaac, not Ishmael. And then through that, Jacob, and then the 12, and then the tribes. And then now we look historically, historically that is for the last 4,000 years. Look how God has blessed the nation of Israel today. You see, God has a sense of humor. <laughs> In Genesis 18:11, Sarah was past her childbearing age. The estimates that place Sarah somewhere about 90 years old plus, and Abraham was at least 100 years old or plus. But notice that Moses pins that Abraham was as good as dead. As good as dead. Then the Lord gave Abraham and Sarah a child, Isaac, and they named him Laughter. And then from there we know futuristic, innumerable descendants. Listen to the Greek. The word multitude means a, a large populace. Innumerable in the Greek, without number. The Jews are everywhere today. In fact, they'll tell you statistically that there are more Jews in New York than there is in Israel. And it's amazing to me how uh, the Jewish people always want to go back to Israel. And I mean, if I had my rathers, I would live in Israel, love Israel. But it's just not possible. And so many that have gone back today. You cannot, listen, you cannot get rid of the Jews. Uh, throughout history, read Israeli history. Man is always trying to get rid of the Jews. Now, we were just studying this in our, uh, in our Bible college. Pastor Jeff was bringing it out. We're studying about Babylonians. When's the last time you met a Babylonian? You haven't. They're all dead. When's the last time uh, you, made, you met a Canaanite? You haven't. Now, I want you to study this. Joshua chapter 24, verse 11. And these names Joshua was given, that he was going to be victorious over them. The Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and lastly, the Jubasites. Have we seen any of those lately? I don't think so. But yet the Jews are still here. God loves the nation of Israel. And yet, they're the chosen people, the chosen nation, and they have rebelled against God so much. But yet the Bible says that Israel, listen to this, is the apple of God's eye. Now what I love about that is in Romans chapter 11, the Bible says that we, the church, the Gentiles, believers, have become the grafted in branch. We are part of Israel. 
And I tell you what, that's why we should have such a love and a grace and a mercy towards Israel and pray that our government does not turn its back on Israel. Now, verses 13 through 16, the writer of Hebrews takes us to this heavenly hope because of our faith. We'll get back to Abraham in just a minute. These all died in faith. What we're speaking about in Hebrews chapter 11, these faith heroes, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but he says, having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers, pilgrims on this earth. These heroes of faith, as we have studied already last week, Abel, Enoch, Noah, and this morning, Abraham and Sarah, these and the continued group that we're going to speak of in Hebrews chapter 11, all died without receiving the promise of Messiah, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now, the promise was there, but they had not received it yet. And the promise of the eternal kingdom. Now, they know that now, these uh, patriarchs, because they've died and gone home to be with the Lord. Yet they held on to the promises by faith. They believed God by faith. They trusted and believed God by faith. I believe that the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament showed them. And they believed God by faith. Go back up to Hebrews 11. Look at verses 1 and 2. We started this in our teaching last week. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Abraham had no concept of Messiah, but yet he, he believed in the promise. I was thinking of Isaiah. Isaiah writes of the birth of Messiah. And then Isaiah writes of the death of Messiah. And yet, you know, Isaiah, like Abraham, never partook of these promises, but they believed them. Now, we partake of Christmas, so, you know, the first coming of Christ, the first advent of Christ, I don't have a problem. And then we celebrate Passover and Resurrection Sunday, and, and so we don't have a problem with the crucifixion. But what about the second coming? It's called the parousia of Christ. Well, Pastor Bob, come on. I mean, you know, we all celebrate Christmas and we all celebrate Easter. You know, I don't have a problem. What about the second coming? If Jesus was faithful in his first coming, what makes us think he's not coming again in the second coming? I tell you, the scriptures are, are, are just, you know, right there. Again, look at verse 1, Hebrews 11. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of all things not seen, for by it the elders obtain a good testimony. The Old Testament saints, they pinned it. Listen, they believed it. They lived it. How? By faith. In other words, Abraham is cruising now in the promised land. But Abraham inside, he knows this is not it. This is not it. Yes, it's the land of milk and honey. Joshua and Caleb and the rest were going to see that. But Abraham hadn't seen it, but he believed it by faith. But Abraham took it farther. Now, this morning, what about us? Are we just content where we're at? The Bible says he's gone to go and prepare a place for us. Think about that. Now, let's go back to our text. Look at verse 14. Now, these type of saints from verse 13, they never saw the promise, but they believed. Now, verse 14. For those who say such things de declare plainly that they seek a homeland. They seek a homeland. For the true believer who speak and think like this, they are looking forward to another country that they will call their home. It wasn't the promised land. It wasn't New Mexico. For me in my past, it wasn't, you know, Southern California. But the promised land that we would receive in heaven. Yes, the promised land was Canaan land, but these looked beyond Canaan land. 
They look to one day being with their God in heaven. These are not strangers just passing through, pilgrims just passing through. These believe by faith in a homeland. And that homeland is heaven. That homeland is heaven. I, mean, I love New Mexico. I love the Southwest. I mean, I always had this dream. Mary and I were going to build a cabin uh, in, uh, you know, uh, the high desert of Southern California. And that dream kind of, you know, was shelved after we moved here. We'd come to Saving Grace, and then through the process, three years later, God calls us into the ministry. Now, the amazing part, if you've ever been to the high desert in Southern California, it's just like this. This is the high desert. <laughs> and God put us here. And in the high desert, we would get snow. We can get some snow here. The high desert, we had mountain ranges. We have beautiful mountain ranges. Now, in Southern California, uh, we have oceans. Hey, you know, we have Elephant Butte. We have the Rio Grande. And I don't think you can surf in it. You can try, but... But you see, God gives you the desires, listen, of your heart. But the homeland that Abraham was looking for was heaven bound. Look at verse 15. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out of, they came out of Haran, they would have had the opportunity to return. These Old Testament saints could have easily Abraham could have easily, Sarah could have easily. Let's go back to Haran. You know, we, we got Isaac now. Let's go back to Haran. But they saw the promises of God. Bible says they never went back to Haran. But they never got to the homeland either. They were in Canaan land, but they didn't get to the homeland yet. But now Abraham's in heaven, in the heavenly place, Sarah. You know, it's been fulfilled. Be careful when we've been a Christian for a time and then all of a sudden the appetites of the world kind of come back and bite you. I remember when. I remember how it was. And it's so easy, listen, to want to go back to Babylon, to want to go back to Egypt, and in Abraham and Sarah's case, to want to go back to Haran. Now, I want you to mark down these verses in Deuteronomy 31, 6, Joshua 1, 5, and then we're going to study it in Hebrews 13, 5. God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, God gives us a free will. We can choose. Now, I go back to Southern California two, three times a year. We go back family, friends, loved one. I go back for uh, conferences. Mary goes back for conferences. And we go back, we see our families. And from time to time, you know, some family member, um, sometimes it's my mom. So are you guys ever going to come back home? And our response is most likely no. Unless God were to change his mind, but most likely no. And are you happy there? Well, 27 years later, yes, we are happy there. I would find it very difficult to move back. But imagine having the freedom to choose. And I love seeing my family. I love seeing, you know, all my friends. And, you know, we, we get to do the, uh, you know, the in and out thing when we get back to Southern California. But bottom line, inside my heart, you can ask Mary two, three, four days later, I want to go back to New Mexico. I want to go back to New Mexico. One of our daughters and her family, they all live in Southern California. And I said, when are you moving back? She says, Dad, when the first earthquake comes, I'm moving back. I says, you better be sure they don't close the borders. I go, because that earthquake's coming. I don't know when, but it's coming. It could be that Malibu Beach will replace the Rio Grande. I don't know. But it's coming. But you see, where is your heart? Jesus said, where your heart is, that's where your treasure's at. I, again, I love New Mexico, but, you know, this is not home either. 
I love Southern California. It's no longer home as it was, but homeward bound one day to go home to be with the Lord. Imagine that, church. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The Old Testament and in the New Testament, God has a plan, but you have a free will. You want to go back to Egypt? You can. You want to go back, you know, to Babylon? You can. You, Abraham and Sarah, you want to go back to Haran? You can. But I want you to mark this verse now. In Proverbs, or excuse me, Psalm. Psalm 34, verse 8. I love what the psalmist says here. The psalmist says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man, blessed is the woman who puts their trust in the Lord. You see, church, if we tasted of the Lord, His goodness, His grace, His love, His mercy, His salvation, why do I want to go back to Egypt? Why do I want to go back to Babylon? Why would Abraham want to go back uh, to Haran? Now, it's interesting. In the last days, the Bible says there's going to be a great apostasia, uh, a great falling away. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 2, they were already beginning to slip away and go back uh, to their old way of life. It's so easy. But the proverb says this. If we go back to our old ways, if we go back to Babylon, Egypt, or Haran, it's like a dog that goes back to its vomit. And i tell you what, the drug addict that goes back to drugs after God has released them, they'll go back a hundredfold. The alcoholic will go back a hundredfold. The whoremonger will go back a hundredfold. Man, God has set you free. Why would you want to go back? Taste of the Lord and see that he is good. I mean, why would you want to go back like a dog that goes to his vomit? Look at verse 16. But now they desire a better place. That is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Oh, God is never ashamed of his people. Listen, if anything, God loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But the writer here is preparing. This is what Abraham and Sarah were looking for. They desire a better place. That is a heavenly country. They knew that the time would come. I want you to mark this down. In the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. John writes, these are the words of Christ. Let not your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be agitated. And right now, the things that are going on in our world, in our country, it's getting frustrating in the heart. This guy from Iran wants to annihilate Israel. The guy from Korea, another nut, he's got access to, you know, weapons. We've got some pretty crazy people out there. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be agitated. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Then he says, I go to prepare a place for you. That God is preparing a place for me, preparing a place for you. You see, eventually, all of this is going to give away. Now, turn to uh, two passages. First of all, go to Revelation chapter 3 with me. In Revelation chapters 2 and 3, Jesus sends seven letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And these were actual churches. You can go back and, if you have a study Bible, go back into your maps. You can actually see these seven churches in Asia Minor. These seven types of churches have been throughout the history of the church. And he comes to the Philadelphia church. The church of brotherly love. The church that we should pattern our lives after. And so in Revelation 3.12, listen. 
He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the same, uh, the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. This is the blessings that we will receive when we get to heaven one day. And then I I love what the Holy Spirit writes here in verse 13. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit of the Lord, what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Take heed. Pay attention as we have the Word of God. Now, here's Abraham, and here's Sarah, and here's the, the patriarchs that are being spoken of in Hebrews chapter 11. They believed all this by faith, and we believe this by faith. But listen, we have the 66 books. We have uh, the completed Bible, 39 in the Old Testament and 27 in the New Testament. We can't go wrong, church. God is preparing a place for us. Now, flip ahead, Revelation chapter 21, and look at verses 1 and 2. Now, remember that God is faithful. He said it. It's going to happen. In verse 1, Revelation 21, Then I saw a new heaven, a new earth, and for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea and then it says and I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband now I've never seen heaven but I read about heaven I don't know about you but I'm looking forward to it one day I can't imagine. I, I used to cruise in the 60s. I can't imagine cruising in the streets of gold. Hopefully, I'll have my 57 Chevy. I don't know. But imagine the streets of gold. Just amazing, church. Unbelievable. This is what God has for us. Abraham's heart was not no longer in Haran, but no longer in the promised land either. But his promised land, listen was in heaven was in heaven now let's go back to our text and let's finish this off now look at verse 17 by faith we go back to Abraham now when he was tested this is all taking place in Genesis chapter uh, 21 and 22 he says by faith Abraham when he was tested offered up Isaac and he who had uh, received the promises offered up his only begotten son Now, you need to see the picture here. In Genesis 22, verse 5, listen. Abraham said to his young men, the servants, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham believed. Even if God allowed him to sacrifice his son, that God would raise him from the dead. The resurrection of Isaac. Because it had to be fulfilled uh, through him. But we know the story now. God tells Abraham, take your son. Listen, your only son, your only begotten son. It's almost exactly what it says in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Isaac becomes a type of Christ in the Old Testament. Take your son, your only begotten son, Sacrifice him unto me. They made a three-day journey to get there. Jesus died and was buried for three days. Isaac carried the wood for the sacrifice. Jesus carried his own cross. Now, the lad is very important here. In your Sunday school, we often depict, you know, Isaac uh, as a boy. And the word lad in the Hebrew is ne'ar. And ne'ar can be translated, listen, from infancy to adolescent. Now, I don't believe that he was an infant. But I also don't believe that he was five or six or seven or eight years old. It's obvious to me as you read the text that Abraham and Isaac had gone up to worship God many times. And Isaac had to be a young man now, a lad. He could be a young teen, 
to an adolescent. I mean, he was strong enough to make a three-day journey, strong enough to put wood on his back and then go up the hill. And that hill is believed by scholars that it's Mount Moriah, exactly where Jesus was crucified. And so I want you to see the test of Abraham, the faith of Abraham, but let's not forget Isaac. His faith was tested. And we know that when Abraham was going to plunge the knife into his son, that an angel of the Lord came and stopped him. And then Isaac heard the noise of, of a ram in the thicket. And God provided the sacrifice. And Abraham named the place Jehovah Jireh, God our provider. Look at verse 18. He's speaking about Isaac now. Of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called. In Genesis 21, verse 12, But God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy, speaking of Ishmael now, and your maidservant, Hagar. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offering will be reckoned. Isaac was to be the son of of the spirit not Ishmael now it was very hard dads pay attention you see the first son that was born uh, to Abraham was Ishmael because Sarah couldn't get pregnant and so she said it's your seed go through my handmaiden and Hagar brought forth Ishmael when Ishmael was about 13 years old and then now Isaac is in the picture Ishmael was mocking Isaac. And Sarah said, Abraham, the woman and your son have to leave. Oh, that hurt him. But God told him, I will sustain them. And he did. And to this day, the Arab nation we still have uh, today, obviously. But the obedience, listen, of Sarah, the obedience of Abraham, the obedience of Isaac, such steps of faith of whom it was said in Isaac your seed shall be called hmm. now in Genesis again 12 5 Abraham said that the lad and I will be back after the sacrifice Abraham even believed that if Isaac died he would be resurrected notice verse 19 now including that God was able to rise him from the dead even from the dead, he says, which he also received him in figurative sense. Now, uh, think about the, the faith of Abraham. Then the faith of Isaac. If Isaac was a young man, I mean, come on, guys. Your dad ties you up and you know what he's going to do. You're going to allow yourself to be done. Dad, you're old. I'm, I'm sorry. You're not going to do this to me. The faith of Abraham, the faith of Isaac. God will provide a sacrifice for himself, and he did. Now, the ram was the sacrifice there in Mount Moriah, but later, that sacrifice would be Christ. 2,000 years later, Jesus was on Mount Moriah, and he died to give us life, life eternal. The faith of Abraham. The faith of Sarah. Then we see the faith of Isaac. And Abraham's promised land was not Canaan land. That was even temporal. But he was looking beyond. He was looking to a homeland in heaven. The Bible says that a, a new earth, a new a heaven, and a new Jerusalem is coming. I hope and pray. Now we're here on this earth. But this is not what it's all about. We are preparing for one day to go home to be with the Lord. This is temporal. But one day, we will be with him in heaven. And that we believe, listen, by faith. By faith. Let's all stand. We'll end with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your precious word.
We thank you, Lord, as the scripture says, that your word will not come back void. And so, Father, we're so grateful for the word of God. We're grateful, Lord, for the teachings of these heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Lord, we saw the faith of Abel and Enoch and and then Noah as he went into the ark. And then this week, Lord, the faith of Abraham and Sarah and then Isaac. Oh, God, teach us to have this faith in you. Jesus said to have childlike faith. Jesus said to have a measure of faith. Lord, I pray this morning that if there's anybody here that has still not come to saving grace, today is the day of their salvation. And and Lord, that they need to step out by faith. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to give you that opportunity. Maybe you're here this morning and you have not come to saving grace. Today is the day of your salvation. Uh, I'm not here to force you. I'm asking you. I'll be more than glad to pray with you a a simple sinner's prayer right there where you're at. If that's you this morning, if the Holy Spirit has spoken to you and you need to come to saving grace, please indicate by raising your hand, I'll pray for you right there in your seat. Anybody would like to come to saving grace, please raise your hand. Praise the Lord that if we're all Christian, we give God the glory. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for these beautiful saints, Lord. And, and now, Lord, we're all Christian. We're all believers. We've already taken that first initiative, that first step of faith to come to saving grace. Lord, teach us faith. Build our faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Build our faith, Lord. Lord, we want to be faithful even as Abraham and Sarah and Isaac were. And we're going to see more heroes of faith. Lord, build our faith, strengthen our faith, encourage our faith. And Lord, sometimes we don't even really understand what's in the next horizon, but we're stepping out by faith. Lord, bless the offerings this morning. As you've given to us, we give back a portion, even by faith we give to you, Lord. And Father, bless those that are able to give. And Lord, the rest of us, we ask your blessings this morning. And whatever we're needing from you, Lord, bless us. Meet our needs, Lord. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.